This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Namai, Haere mai, Kiora Tanakwe, Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. I'm Bruce Scott, Mel Driscoll, Cosmopolitan News and Views. Serious business, breaking news, two new COVID cases in Waikato, one in Hamilton East and one in Raglan. The Raglan case is um, the person is self-isolating and will be later moved to um, an isolation uh, place. He has been interviewed by Waikato DHB staff at the moment and we'll go into MIQ after that. Um, the person felt unwell on September 27. The Hamilton East person is a close contact with the person in Raglan and there has been uh, links to some of those spreader events. We'll find out after one o'clock this afternoon. Uh, when we have more information from the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield. Pop-up centres have been established at the Founders Theatre, Car Park and Claudine's Event Centre and in Raglan. A centre has been set up, a pop-up centre has been established at the Raglan Rugby Grounds on Cross Street. A, vaccine, a vaccination centre is open at Tiawa at the base and I do know because I'm now fully vaccinated that the that the Anglesey Pharmacy on Thackeray Street will be open at this time and they were still open late last night. There is speculation of super spread events. So the headlines, pop-up centres established at the Founders Theatre Car Park, Claudine's Event Centre, the Raglan Rugby Grounds on Cross Street. And of course you can get vaccinated at Tiawa at the base and also advise you to go to um, Anglesey Pharmacy on Thackeray Street. We'll have more after one o'clock this afternoon here on Free FM. We'll check in with what is happening. We don't have um, the um, places of interest in Hamilton at this very moment. The, the case of um, the truck driver going to Palmerston North, the I think it's BP in Talpuri is a place of interest. We'll keep you up to date after one o'clock this afternoon. So at the moment I would advise you get tested this afternoon. Clawlands and also in Raglan and also at the Clawlands Event Centre and outside the Founders Theatre. We'll have more, as I said, after one o'clock. It's 17 minutes to one right now. It is September... Well, of course, it is October 3, 2021. And, of course, how is uh, your day going on this brilliant day outside? Yes, this uh, news quite shocked me just about an hour ago. So we'll have more later. Hey, it was um, 
This year in 1907, 114 years ago, that New Zealand officially became a dominion. It happened on September 26, only a few days ago. And, of course, the United Kingdom government gave the okay for it to happen. In the last 67 years, the country had been a colony. On the morning of September 26th, the first edition of the Dominion newspaper was published. We had a premier in Joseph Ward. And, of course, uh, we celebrate New Zealand becoming a Dominion this year in 1907.
3FM, 89.0, independent community media. God defend New Zealand. In 1940, that became our official hymn, and around 1977, one of the official songs of New Zealand. Yes, New Zealand became a dominion this month. Well, in September last month, but this week. Afternoon, Mel. Afternoon. Well, it was many years ago that Faye Lawand came to New Zealand. Her country of her country of origin is featuring for all the wrong reasons on our news. That's the Lebanon. However, Faye brings to New Zealand some unique techniques. Let's say that she's an expert on internal conflict resolution. We've got no shortage of the conflict, Faye. Outer and inner. <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. It's lovely to be with you again. How are you feeling today when you get the news that Hamilton is uh, facing? right now, right before you guys called, and my heart sank. Oh, yep. My heart really sank. Let's talk about Lebanon. How was how their efforts to combat COVID-19? You know, Bruce, interestingly, when I speak to my uh, family and friends back home, and I ask them about the COVID situation, they say uh, they, th- that is the least uh, of their issues and their least of their concerns, and the least kind of problem on their radar. They have such bigger problems to combat. Um, uh, Poverty is through the roof. There's a looming starvation uh, in the works. Uh, There's a massive fuel crisis, massive fuel crisis. There's no electricity. There's no water. There's hyperinflation. There's food shortages, unemployment. I mean, it's a really, really, really dire situation. And they say, ironically, the biggest problem across the world being COVID is the least of our problems here in Lebanon. So it's going to call on the skills of the masters at the art of internal conflict resolution to realize the good life that was lived in Lebanon in an earlier epoch. What do you say about the internal conflicts that individuals struggle with? Yes, Melvin. I, you know, I mean, as, as both of you know, my life journey began in Lebanon shortly before one of the biggest conflicts of modern time. You know, I'm referring to the civil war that started in 1975 and spanned 15 years. And it, uh, it claimed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and it displaced millions of others. And I was, uh, I was a very, very young child. Uh, when the conflict basically drove us out of the country. So my family and I were part of that statistic of the millions of families that got displaced. And the, the, the kind of the story, the narrative that I always took with me as we moved around from country to country and one part of the world to the other is that, uh, you know, we're, we're really lucky, we're fortunate, uh, we were unaffected and unimpacted by the conflict. But, you know, my life, uh, my life journey did not reflect that. My life history did not reflect that because in my 20s and my 30s, my life was extremely turbulent. And I was fighting and combating lots of internal conflicts that, of course, at the time, I didn't realize. I had lots of chronic pain conditions. Uh, uh, my, my health was really, really, really bad. 
uh, I had um, uh, chronic anxiety, chronic fatigue, uh, chronic depression. I had PTSD, uh, low self-esteem. My life was going in all the wrong directions. I had no purpose. I was unable to form and, and experience happiness within relationships. I was unable to access the goodness that my head was telling me that my life was full of. And it wasn't until my life really, really fell apart around the time that I turned 40 that I had to stop and take a look at myself and my life. And what I did not realize until I really stopped and went and, 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 and took a step back is that while I left the conflict, the external conflict behind, what I had, what had happened is I took the internal conflicts with me as I moved from place to place to place to place around the world. And this is when I realized two things. Well, actually, I realized more than two things. But two things that I think are really pertinent to point out is that conflict and peace do not coexist, be it on a national level or be it on an individual level. I mean, I learned that my life journey has taught me that just being born in the Middle East and being born in a zone of conflict that, that while the conflict persists, peace eludes us and mm -hmm. eludes all people that, that live within a conflict zone. And that can be extended to, to, our, to our individual life experience as well. If you are living with internal struggle, if you're living with internal conflict, if you're living with an internal battle, you're not going to be able to access the peace and the calm and the happiness and the wellness and the well-being that you desire and that you dream of for yourself and for your life. What, what's the, what? I also learned another thing, sorry, I just also learned another thing just to sum, summarize this, is that the problem is not the conflict and the problem is not the internal conflict. If we go back to the example of my country, mm -hmm. the problem in Lebanon is not so much the conflict, the problem is not resolving the conflict. That's why the country is where it is right now. And it's the same thing with us battling chronic conditions. The problem is not whatever, is not the, the emotion we're battling or the life experience we're battling. The problem is not resolving it. Of course, uh, as you grew up in your country, you were bordered by Syria, which had its own <laughs> issues at the time. <laughs> and of course, and Israel. And, and Israel, and also Cyprus, as a schoolboy, we grew up to know the name Archbishop Makarios yes. in Cyprus. And yes. that country had issues of its own. So Totally. So And ironically, Bruce, that's that's where we escaped. That was our first port of point of escape when we left the area of conflict in seventy five. And we basically arrived into a, into another battered battered uh, country because they had just come out of the invasion of the Turks. Yep. And, of course, we remember Archbishop Makarios with those mm. long black robes. Yes, yes. So you've seen the effects on your health, on the people around you, of these events beyond their control, your control. How do you handle the conflict that stems from things beyond our control? Yes, thank, thank, thank you for asking that question. You know, and a, a conflict, conflict or internal conflict in this in this case, uh, it doesn't just impact our health. Although that's that's the, that's the point at which uh, we we stop in our tracks and we are called to do something about it. But you know, these internal conflicts they also impact our career, our relationships. 
and also just our ability to exist within life in a way that is energizing and fulfilling and positive. You, you, and, oh, yeah. So, sorry, I've just uh, got this uh, bit from Al Jazeera. They are reporting right at this moment on the medical crisis um, and they're reporting it as a death sentence and um, starvation, a growing reality, as you just previously said, Faye. So your, yeah. your comments. Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, Bruce, if, I, if I'm to speak really honestly with you, the tragedy in Lebanon is, is one of those um, areas of grief for me that I have yet to find a way to resolve. It is. It weighs on my heart so heavily because it. I. I really do feel, to a certain extent, a little bit helpless being so far away. I mean, yes, we do what we can here, as we. You know, we've done lots of fundraising and we raise a lot of awareness. But you know, every little bit counts. But there is a real sense of helplessness around what's happening in in my country, and this is an an internal conflict that is very alive right now in my life that I'm working to resolve. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah. is it is it religion? If we is it the problem of religion? This conflict. Well, the the problem the, there are so the problems are 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 uh, uh, extend beyond religion. And and as I as I alluded earlier, the problem is not resolving these disputes and these conflicts around religion, around sects, around colonization, around the constitution, around government disputes. That is the problem. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds very, very simplistic, and I would actually take it a step back. I would like to take it a step back, and I really believe in my heart of hearts that all of these uh, nations and all within in current in current times but also historically where we've had leaders that have not really served their people and have not served their country it is a result of their own internal conflicts i mean you look you look at you look at those crazy people in syria and all of these extremists that go around chopping people's heads off or go around oppressing and suppressing others there is no inner peace inside their heart they are riddled with internal conflict yep. the only way to a kinder happier world is to resolve our own internal conflicts we cannot experience peace until we have peace within ourselves and i know it sounds trite i know it sounds trite but i it's so true Mm-hmm. And, and of course, only uh, one day ago, the UN announced a three hundred and eighty-three million dollar humanitarian plan to address long nightmare, as they call it, in Lebanon. Will the, will this money help? <laughs> Time will tell, Bruce. Time will tell. But you know, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath, which is really sad. You know, We're in the absence, in, in the presence of such a dire situation, that so many of us are so hopeless you know like we, we, we we've lost hope because history has taught us that uh, that as long as there isn't real change no change is going to occur in times of trouble Faye, we often yeah. reach for religion religion can either provoke or bring peace comment um, I would love to. I mean, I, I can speak. I can speak to that at length, <laughs> Mel. And uh, but but where I've come because in my own journey as well, uh, you know, having been born and raised into a conflict area that was fueled by religious conflict, I really turned against it. I really was put off religion, and it wasn't until later on when my, when my life crumbled and I was looking at my life and how I wanted to live my life. 
and I, I realized that I had to make peace with my, with my life, but I also realized that I had to understand my, uh, my, my relationship with the world around me. Because you can't really be purposeful and happy until you have a real sense about what your existence is all about, you know, and, and what your relationship is with the world around you. And that's when I came to realize that there's a huge difference between religion and spirituality, a huge difference. And unfortunately, the rhetoric in our in the religious institutions are about the doctrine and the and the and and and, and the power and, and the and the the the, the 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 power and not about the spirituality. I mean, I I go. I used to go to church with my parents because I was forced to go to church with my parents. And from a young age, I'd look around at these people, and I still experience it now. And I don't see transformation and i don't see that happiness that you know that the promise that kind of leads us towards religion and i really believe it's because there's people have been brainwashed at least in my country to equate religion with identity and religion with happiness and religion with uh with transformation but but that does not come through an institution it comes from doing the inner work and it comes from connect from finding that that divinity within yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I find this also with the conflict in Afghanistan presently, people speaking with forked tongues. They got all the media together to say, hey, we'll protect your rights. Women can go to school, etc., etc." Weeks later, women are banned from classrooms. We see that Sharia law is in. We saw the man being hung by the crane, etc., etc. So these are meaningless words. You know, um, Bruce, one of the things when, when I'm asked about, you know, uh, like quick tips for internal conflict, like quick tips to resolve internal conflicts, one of the primary things that I say to that is to limit, to limit negative influences in your life, you know, because uh, we are biased towards negativity. Our, our, our neurology, our human brain is, is, is biased towards negativity. And if we're not mindful of the negative influences around us, that negativity bias can really take hold and can drown us in an ocean of negativity, cutting us off from positive experiences that we want. And I really am so mindful with limiting the, my, the, the intake of news. So I'm not really familiar with all of what you've, what you've been describing, but I'm not surprised. I mean, there's so, that's so much extremism there. There is such an, there are conflicts on so many levels there. That of course it's not going to translate in, 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 in possibility and peace for anyone, let alone those people in power. You summed it up as drowning in negativity. It can be so overwhelming that is it understandable and useful if humans begin by looking at one compartment of their lives and addressing that to see if that can be resolved. It's too much to try to take on everything that pertains to our inner conflict so uh, mel this this is this is what i uh, what i always say as well in terms of quick tips when i uh, when i'm asked for quick tips uh, in order to make any change you need to take responsibility for that change you know you need to take responsibility for wanting to, for 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 uh, for your life and for yourself and to stop the the blame game you know to stop 
the reason why people are burnt out is not has nothing to do with their job. It has nothing to do with the traffic. It has nothing to do with the avalanche of emails. It has nothing to do with the annoying, with the annoying uh, boss or the annoying colleagues. The reason that you're anxious has nothing to do with the state of the world around you. Although all of these things don't don't contribute to what you want more of. The reason why we're experiencing these things is because there's something else underneath that hasn't been looked at. And as long as we continue to point the finger outside of us, first of all, we're cutting ourselves off from the root cause of what's creating the imbalance, and we're going to continue being externalized and, um, and, and in that blame situation, which is very disempowering. And again, I draw the parallel with my country. Right now in my country, the reason, one of the big reasons why my country is in the situation that it's in is because all of these uh, politicians, so-called politicians, they're blaming one another and they're, bring, they're blaming each other's religions for the conflict and for the, for the, for the stalemate in the country. And, and blame the- game doesn't take you anywhere. And, of course, we've got nuclear powers beyond the borders, America, China, USSR. They, yes. they, want, to, they want to get into Lebanon because uh, pro- they're probably looking for the oil there. Bruce, as long as I, from, from an early, early, early age, I remember, you know, I mean, obviously growing up, um, uh, you know, with, 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 with a war, whether you're in Lebanon or away and your parents are so worried about their family and their own people left behind, the, 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 the conversation of conflict was always a, a daily feature of conversation in our household. So from a young age, I was, I was curious, you know, so I'd ask questions about, you know, what, trying to understand. And from an early age, I always, always, always heard blame. Always heard blame. It's, uh, it's this sect or this sect or this sect. It's this national power. It's France. It's America. It's Israel. And then as I grew older and I started to notice the, 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 the real kind of disempowerment of adults in my life, you know, everybody was really weighed down and depressed and anxious. Again, I'd, I'd inquire, why is this happening to this person or that person? And I'd always hear excuses. Oh, you know, it's because of their husband, or it's because of their childhood, or it's because of the neighbor, or it's because of the job. And I never, ever, ever, ever once heard uh, anyone uh, assuming any responsibility for their feelings, therefore assuming responsibility for changing their situation. And therefore, that's what I learned. That's what I took into my own life. When, when things were not working in my own life, including in my health, I was pointing the finger everywhere else instead of looking at what I can do to affect change. And it was not until I decided that I'm going to make a difference in my own life that, that something changed. And now that COVID comes to Waikato once more... Oh, my God. Do we look for someone to blame? Uh, well, you know, I, I think the interesting thing with COVID, gentlemen, is uh, it's a real reminder of how the actions of one have an impact on the reality of the whole. Seriously. I mean, all, all it takes is one person to, um, you know, uh, not follow uh, orders or guidelines in order to affect the destiny of all of us. You talk and about destiny, Brian Tamaki, yesterday, Auckland, oh Auckland domain, <laughs> over 2,000 people there. Was it 2,000? I, I thought it was less than 1,000. Gosh. It's only a numbers yeah, the, game, but... 
he's he's going to change the destiny of Auckland net tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Uh, and, and of course, Lebanon is featured 71 times in the Bible, the Hittites, of course, etc., etc. So uh, conflicts have been going back to the biblical times too. Yes, they have, you know, and, and again, my message is conflicts will continue, both the conflicts in the world and, and conflicts in, within ourselves will continue. But again, my message is the problem is not the conflict, because a lot of growth comes from conflict. A lot of breakthrough comes from conflict. A lot of positive change comes from conflict. The problem is not resolving the conflict. That is what's problematic. And you know, gentlemen, when, when, I, when people hear my story, they either relate to it or they don't. You know, and and my my story is not about war. It's not about the cost of war. My story is about the cost of not resolving a conflict and the type of limitation that that creates to health, happiness, and career. But my story is also about the possibility when you assume responsibility for your life and the immense fulfillment and potential that comes with that. At 50, I just actually turned 51. At 51, I am happier, healthier, and more purposeful than I was in my 20s, my 30s, and my early 40s. And I attribute that to assuming responsibility for change and resolving all of those internal limitations and all of those internal conflicts. The conflict may be internal within us, yeah. but is there something to be gained by approaching it with a mentor or together with another or others who are also experiencing internal conflict? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mel, you know, 100%. I, the benefit is in, um, uh, in reducing the frustration, in uh, reducing the time spent. I mean, I figured this out for myself uh, through a lot of study and a lot of inquiry and a lots of trainings and lots of certifications. And then eventually... You know, I kind of coded everything that worked on my own journey uh, and put it into uh, into into a system, into an easy to follow step by step system yeah. to take you from internal conflict to uh, potential. And to answer your question, I mean, it's very doable on your on your own because you know you have access. We have access to so much information online. But the benefit of working with a mentor is you get a proven system that works. The guesswork is removed for you. Uh, and it shortens the time uh, for you to get the result that you want, and it takes away the frustration, and you get the support and the guidance and the accountability. Is there any formal way that people approach the problem to resolve it with the help of professionals? Um, uh, I mean, first of all, yes, make an inquiry. So um, I, the way that I work with, uh, with the people, because, you know, the responsibility for change is a big one. So I don't work with anyone. Uh, it's by application only because I need to screen. I need to, uh, I need to ascertain that you are ready for, for the change because some people think that they're ready, but they're not willing to commit themselves to the process. And if you don't commit yourself to the process, and once again, you wait for someone else to make the change in your life, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. So start with by an inquiry. You go just to my website, faylawand.com, or my, my uh, Facebook is also faylawand. On LinkedIn, I'm faylawand. On Instagram, I'm faylawand. And I offer complimentary consultations, so like a 20-minute free chat to just see what's going on for you 
and to see if this is an approach that might be able to support you in moving beyond the limitation and towards the potential that you want. And, and of course, uh, uh, talking going back to COVID nineteen, I know how yeah. I know Hamilton has a small Lebanese community. Have you been t- talk, telling them to go and get a jab and um, please well, please do I, that? I, uh, Bruce, to be to be honest with you, I just heard. I literally just heard now, like literally, like, right before you you guys called, I heard about the cases in uh, in the Waikato because you know I I I exercise a lot of digital discipline and I try to really limit my intake of news. Uh, so I literally just heard. I haven't had a chance to respond or even to really think about what that means. But I will be on to it. Are, are, are you are, are you located in the Hamilton East? No, we're. Uh, I'm in Auckland. Oh, good. good hey, good on you. You you you're locked down there in level three. But it's Hamilton East and also a place you may have visited, Raglan. Those are the Raglan, two. Those yes. those are the two places of interest at this moment. Oh. Oh. What do we gain, Faye? by a limit on the news that we take in. Right. So, yes. Uh, so, And I'm going to say not just news, but it's social media. It's um, uh, anything. See, the thing, is, the thing is with the news and with social media, inherently they're not bad for us, right? Because there's a lot of good that comes through, you know, social media technology and news. But it's the overconsumption that ends up uh, that ends up um, uh, uh, kind of uh, over, over uh, overloading the negativity bias, and we end up consuming the images, the negative images, the negative rhetoric, the, the beliefs, the emotions that we're seeing outside of ourselves. And if we're doing that all the time, and already we have a disposition towards negativity, we start to feel more negative than usual. And this is one of the one of the most effective things that you can do for yourself, especially at this time, at this very heightened, anxious time, is to put a limit on uh, on, on on what you consume and to be really mindful about what you consume, be it in the news, social media, but also in the movies that you watch and in in the media that you consume, newspapers and so on. Because, you know, if you're constantly hearing about troubling stuff, that's going to leave imprints, emotional imprints, imprints in the body. And over time, if that's all you're doing in the day, it's going to start imbalancing your nervous system. Yep. Is it also time to make an appointment with a psychologist or psychiatrist just to check out how your mental health and my mental health is and uh, just get checked out? I am uh, I am such an advocate for working with mental health professionals and with prioritizing mental health. And this is good that we're having this conversation as we're coming out of Mental Health Awareness Week. I think that every week should be mental health awareness, especially given the current climate that we're living in with uh, with COVID. And this work of internal conflict resolution, gentlemen, is such a, a contemporary, unique, modern, effective solution for mental health because it goes beyond talk therapy. And it, it looks at addressing the root cause of the problem working at the subconscious mind and the nervous system where these internal conflicts are stored and created yep that, that, it, it, it's a good plan there, there is a there is a text number i forget it at this present moment but um i'll, I'll look it up before we do disappear out of here at two o'clock but 
You're sounding pretty good today, Faye. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I, 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 it's applying all the practices and, um, and um, yes, uh, trying to live in the moment and trying to take things one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And staying away from the, the news as much as possible and the social media scrolling. Well, I, I, when I finish here at 2 o'clock, it's cup of tea time, preparing for an evening meal and possibly coming back here to record later in the day. But, yep, I'm going to try and keep away from the news. Um, or limit it. Or limit it. Yep. You know, like set, set times for yourself. You know, yep. like I allow myself, you know, 20 minutes like at 1 o'clock and then maybe 20 minutes in the evening to catch up on anything else, and then that's it. That, that's it. And it's the same thing with the phone, you know? Like, I switch off the phone half an hour before I, before I go to bed, and then the phone remains switched off until I get up in the morning and do my practices and shower, and then I sit to make my breakfast, and then I switch on the phone. So, you know, there's time, there's designated times where I'm not externalized, where I'm just connecting with myself and my internal resources so I'm not taking on the energies and the thoughts and the agendas of the world around me because the world will continue to pull you in different directions now more than ever. When it comes to radio or television, oh, here looms a problem because within the same household there may be a couple. But do we control a partner's uh, intake of news? It's negotiation, right? It's, it's negotiation. And look at a good television movie tonight. I don't, I don't know what the movies are tonight on television, but you'll probably be sitting in front of a screen somewhere watching a movie. Yes, exactly. Something, something comical. I mean, this is something else. This is something else that I always encourage people to do, especially in a climate like this, like laughter therapy, because laughter is so good for us on so many levels. When you're laughing, first of all, you're belly laughing. So you're getting out of the shallow breathing that gets your nervous system into that sympathetic functioning. When you're laughing, you're activating your vagus nerve, your vocal cords, and your vagus nerve is what sends signals to your brain that it's okay to come uh, to calm down. When you're laughing, your brain is secreting feel-good hormones, so you feel happier and lighter. Well, I'm gonna, uh, shortly I'm going to dig out some Fred Dag for you this afternoon. He can give any, anybody a laugh to, at any well, time. There you go. I mean, <laughs> my laughter therapy is Seinfeld reruns. I mean, I just, I love Seinfeld reruns. They're the best. Just the <laughs> thought of it makes me laugh. Well, we certainly <laughs> need lots of laughing. Faye, yes. thanks for alerting us yes. to these things. It's in the way cut over. Always a pleasure to connect with hey, you Hey, Faye, n- next time we hope we're, all the news is better, but... Um, the uh, conference between Ashley Bloomfield and the Prime Minister is still going on. There's no more information. But I have got some information that there are 33 cases in the uh, community at this present moment. We're going to break them down very, very shortly. This is today's total, 33. So um, it's um, ebbs and flows, as they say. Yeah. These, yeah. Are, these are dark days. I think we need a laugh. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So I'm going. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go and watch something funny, uh, and make myself a cup of tea, and uh, hope for the best uh, tomorrow and beyond tomorrow. Ho- hopefully, Auckland can come down to level two tomorrow. But it's, uh, we'll all know by four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Yes. Yes. Hey, well, have a have a good have a good Sunday in uh, yes, you your too, city. Gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to connect. Hey, we'll, we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time and have another chat. Sounds great. I look forward to it, gentlemen. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Faye Bye. Bye-bye. I'm an expert on internal conflict resolution, living in Auckland. I think we do need a laugh. Mm-hmm.
nope, wrong track, folks. We're trying to dig out um, Fred Dagg, and of course, uh, we've got uh, John, Hall, John Hall Grinnell there too. Let's try this. to Switzerland where old yodelers be Went across to Trinidad and to Yodelay Climbed a big high mountain on a clear and sunny day And met a yodeling gal up in a little Swiss chalet She taught me to yodel, Independent community media. The late John Clark is Fred Dagg and John Hoare Grinnell. She taught Moody Yodel more from Fred Dagg shortly. 23 past one o'clock. Closely following progress in the city of which she was once mayor, Margaret Evans keeps a close eye on developments, things happening around her. Margaret, the current topic, COVID. (laughs) Good afternoon, Mel. And everybody. How are you, Margaret? Well, of course, I'm as bright as a button, but I am getting prepared to just be obedient <laughs> and be locked down. Why is that? Lockdown? <laughs> um, the Prime Minister's announced at her one o'clock news conference today that there is a COVID case in Hamilton connected to Raglan, and as a result of that, Raglan's going to be locked down and Tikofita and Hamilton um, City, we're going to apparently have soft boundaries because there's so many routes in and out of the city, but it will be locked down. So everybody's just got to um, check out the news and be obedient. So so we're still in level two? No, we are now going to go to level three lockdown. And that happened... Just before midnight tonight. 
That's breaking news here on Free FM. Thank you for Mar- thank you, Margaret, for bringing in the, uh, that. That's your journalistic skills coming through. Thank well, you for I'm that. An archaeologist, they tell me, <laughs> <laughs> a news archaeologist. <laughs> so this puts more pressure on our resources, and we were feeling that tomorrow we may go down a level. But has the Prime Minister said how long this level three lockdown will go for? I think they said five days. I think it's through till the weekend, but obviously they will be monitoring because I think um, Dr Ashley pointed out um, that they haven't got the final uh, genome sequence results for the Hamilton case yet because that's just been identified. So there's, you know, they're keeping a close eye on this, so I guess we just have to do the same. Yeah, as I said earlier, we've got to go to... The Founders Theatre outside to get tested. Claudelands Event Centre in Ragland at the rugby grounds. And you can get your vaccine at Tiawa, the base. And I've just said go to Anglesey Pharmacy where I went. I'm fully jabbed. Um, and that is the Anglesey Pharmacy on Thackeray Street. So people will be heading for tests this afternoon, I hope. Absolutely. And I think also a lot of GPs are giving the vaccinations now. And also to cover health. Uh, um, in um, Hamilton East interestingly enough and I agree with you just people be sensible Um, as the Prime Minister said um, this afternoon um, this nasty little virus seems to be looking for those people who haven't been vaccinated because they are the ones that are becoming ill not the vaccinated ones that'll be sending a a shiver up some spines Mm -hmm. I I hope that the warning does go to Brian Tamaki for what he did in Auckland yesterday. And I'm also looking at the police for giving him some bad information. And in fact, I'm angry with Andrew Costa telling him what he can do and what he can't do. And he civil disobedience, I call it, Margaret. Look, I agree with you. And in fact, I've had a couple of conversations with different people this morning. Um, and I guess one of the... One of the interesting elements here is that we are very rule-bound. We're very legally confined. But sometimes big doses of common sense are much better. And I wonder, who do you think should have gone and talked to Bishop Tamaki as soon as word leaked out about this protest and said, don't, Mm -hmm. cut it out. It's the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, we call it kanohiki to kanohiki, face-to-face conversations where the bishop may have been reminded of his national duty. And, and I see the other police officer was Wally, Wally Omaha, whom I think, he's a, yeah, he's got previous, he's got previous stuff on with him too. So, um, mm-hmm. so... Bad information from the top of the police. And I think bad information from Bishop Tamaki. And quite frankly, we do live in a reasonably free society. But it, as you say, it interests me that people can be so stupid. Because that's what it is. Stupid. What a weight of responsibility to be borne by, in this case, Prime Minister, the Executive of Cabinet. It's deciding for other people's welfare... Mm. even should they disagree. Mm-hmm. But then again, Mel, you know, it's not that complicated. Uh, um, you know, we know that there's only one side of the road that you drive on. We have been encouraged all to wear seatbelts. We don't always do it. 
But, you know, we do need certain guidance on certain issues. And I think that this is the Prime Minister's heavy responsibility in this one. But she can only be effective if we all step up. Calls for cooperation and the mm. weight of numbers. Because it is mm. difficult to stand out in a crowd, the mm. one person who's not wearing, <laughs> wearing a face mask among mm. many others. Mm. That's peer pressure, I suppose. And I think if people are concerned about what to believe... Um, for heaven's sake, we live in a digital age. There is a pile of information available, uh, you know, uh, through your laptop or your phone. But don't be stupid again. Check out various sources, including the official sources, because you can get all sorts of crazy, crazy ideas if you're not very careful. Yeah, well, I was lucky last night. I, I, I had couple of drinks with friends last night in one of the bars in town and now those bars have got to lock down for another period it's and i and i and i talked to amanda at um at the candy bar last night and uh, she's feeling it and others were feeling it and um now another period of no 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 nightlife in hamilton yeah yeah and i think i think again that's another big picture thing we do need to be aware that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this country, let alone worldwide, who are hurting because of this. Um, you know, businesses, there's businesses going to go under, already some of them have, and as you say, it's the small cafes, you know, the place where we love together, that are hurting the most. So let's just hope that um, we'll come out of this lockdown pretty quickly. Is it also time for the Mayor of the City, Paula Southgate, to show some leadership? I think Paula has been trying to do that. And I think that, again, this is the problem. We don't have a soapbox that we all gather around anymore. And she, um, um, I understand, has got a Facebook page and that sort of thing. It's really quite difficult to have that sort of leadership. I mean, the Prime Minister has got her regular one o'clock lot where the whole country knows that they can beam in. The mayors of the country don't have that same opportunity. Maybe they should. <laughs> well, if, if they want to, they can come on the station. On, we've got various toasts here. They could host them uh, to ha have a chat. Um, yeah, well... <laughs> and one well, place it, it, it's quite interesting if I can change the topic but it's yeah. the same to very much the same topic I think we are going to have to get much more used to having these webinars we're going to have to have many more conversations as communities um, using our zooming and our digital connections and one of the big ones I'm sort of loosely involved with at the moment is the big Climate Change United Nations Conference, COP26, um, that's um, going to be later this month in Glasgow. Well, of course, you imagine the scale. There's about 30,000 people that would have been going to Glasgow if we hadn't had the COVID problem. And, of course, you've got James uh, Shaw, our own Minister for the Environment, and his delegation... They are planning to go. They may not be able to go, but they are planning to go. And they hopefully will participate in all of the various workshops, dozens of them, 
that are discussing all the various elements which then get fed into the main forum where the nations of the world are going to attempt to agree what will be the next step to fight against climate change. Can you understand the enormity of that? Can you understand what it's now like for people in the government, in New Zealand, let alone elsewhere, and people like us who are interested, how are we going to find out what's going on there? Is it possible that we can have some national webinars? So there's a group of us discussing at the moment the possibility of doing something here in Hamilton where we might be able to beam into Glasgow and just see what's happening. Uh, Also, maybe feed some information into James Shaw and his delegation, but let them also test some of the ideas with us. Now, it's a bit like COVID, COVID in, in, in the sense that we have understood what it's like to have a national forum at one o'clock. Can we have more global forums where we just listen in as well as participate? Well, it, it, it seems that uh, people tuned in to um, something similar this week, well, last week, into the Waipa District Council. Everybody was tuned in to the... the uh, the uh, web, web, whatever, um, with the Waipa District Council. And it's great, isn't it? It's great. We need to do more of that, don't we? Um, unless it's the uh, council cl- cl- close it off, as they have done in recent years, and say, oh, this has got to be done in, uh, in privacy. But um, <laughs> I, I also think yeah, you, you were touching upon the cynicism in the world that many, many people send in submissions and go and speak to their submissions to their local councils, but they're not actually confident that they've been heard. (laughs) As COVID change in the virus of the pandemic impacts on our history, climate change the same, Margaret. Yes. We now have this issue of women gaining the rights that are rightly theirs it's been a hard-fought campaign. Isn't it over? No, it's not over at all. And it's interesting um, if you take COVID and you relate that to violence against women. In this last week, um, most of the news media in the country have been reporting the fact that there has been an escalation of violence Now, this is not stranger violence. This is violence in the homes of the country. And almost always, it's directed by men against women. So, sure, we can celebrate the fact that we've got the vote in this country and we were the first in the world. We can celebrate the fact that we've got a woman prime minister. But we really need to spend, and I'm talking to blokes now, remember, I'm talking to you two men. (laughs) We really need to look at, on the one hand, still the invisibility of women, and you can see that in the corporates of the country, but more importantly, it's attitudes towards women. And the idea that equality also means respect, it means we've got to get alongside each other. And these days, you know, we've got um, much more than the binary concept. It gets us back to being people. The most important element we should be fighting for 
is that we're all people in this together. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I think of, um, we're going to talk about Jocelyn. I yep. think of Jocelyn and how calmly and collectedly she set about becoming the first woman elected to her rural area onto the local county council. And she didn't expect any special privileges, but she expected respect because she had a voice that she believed should be heard. Yep. And nobody could disagree with that. I'm ta- we, we're talking about Dame Jocelyn Fish, who we ha- I'm, looking at her, <laughs> I'm looking at her obituary in the Waikato Times. Absolutely. Um, she was a stalwart supporter of women's yes, rights. Absolutely. And she was never a, a, a burner of her bra. She was never fiery or feisty. Um, she was, I, I have described Jocelyn as more like my mother's generation. But she was firm, formidable. She knew what was right and she knew what was just. And that's how she advanced the role of women in our society. And she joined joined committees and quietly and systematically they went about seeking that change. And people like that are so important, so important in our community. Well, she must have known Dame Hilda Ross in her time too. She would have. She would have. Um, She would have been quite young because... Um, Hilda served on the city council. She was first elected in 1944. And Jocelyn would have been, what, um, teenager, early yep. young woman in those days? But, but over the years, they, they would have met a few times. Oh, I would think so. And I've never asked Jocelyn um, about Hilda. It's a very interesting question, um, whether or not she was one of her role models, because mm-hmm. I suspect she probably was. Well, this, this respect for a woman has to go two ways. The woman has to respect the men too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But let's not forget that the violence in this country is very unbalanced. And, you know, I thought you might say next, (laughs) women have got to learn to control their mouths because, you know, that's why they get thumped. (laughs) Well, I... I... Uh, um, That's not a good reason. You know, we do have to bring up our boys to be much more sensitive. Yeah. We need to bring up our boys to be more respectful and we need to bring up our girls also with the same way. Well, I, I looked at the sentencing of the uh, associate of the man who killed the Auckland police officer and the the um, the speech given by Matthew Hunt's mother yesterday, mm. looking at the defendant straight in the eye. And now mm. she, the defendant has now got 12 months in prison for what she did in assisting mm. the man who killed an Auckland police officer in, on the line of duty. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, that's loyalty to the point of, again, I'll use the word stupidity, isn't it? Mm. Did you and Dame Jocelyn Barbara Fish ever find yourselves cooperating in a venture? You are talking about the 1993 anniversary development at the Hamilton Gardens, that hidden little gem. Is that what you're talking about? Indeed. (laughs) You're telling the story. (laughs) Well, in fact, I was um, walking down at the gardens. I take my dog down for a swim every weekend. And um, I caught a glimpse of what we're talking about. And I was reminded that it really is 
quite a hidden little delight. If you drive in the entrance by what I call Stonehenge and you go down to that lower car park, just as you go round the bend, walking or in your car, and you look down towards where the little where the little um, uh, stream comes down, you will see a slightly purple-looking building. And that was erected as a, uh, a quiet spot to mark the anniversary of women's suffrage in 1993. And Jocelyn was one of the major people who was involved in doing that. That was the centenary of the granting yes. of the suffrage for women yes. of New Zealand. I wonder yes. how much it fa- changed the face of Hamilton, Margaret. Hmm. And it's, I've, I've, I've made the comment to a few people recently. If you are concerned about what you see going on in various other countries around the world, and particularly attitudes towards women, um, like in the Middle East, and Afghanistan and the suggestion that women can't be educated and certainly shouldn't appear in public or have any responsibilities. It's quite good to read the Hansard debates. They are the records, the parliamentary records of the debates in the House of Parliament leading up to women's suffrage in 1893. And you can get all of this online now. And also you can read very much similar attitudes if you look at the uh, lead-up to the 1917 uh, Women's Parliamentary Rights Act, which is when women were finally able to become members of Parliament because they were specifically prohibited back in 1893. And what is interesting is the attitude of some of those leaders of the time who... It seems bizarre now. One was it, Richard John Seddon. Sneddon. Uh, yeah, ordinary members of Parliament uh, um, um, of all types saying that women's brains were too small, saying that they didn't want their wives to go down on voting day and mix with the hoi polloi, which means, of course, the common folk. Quite amazing attitudes, and that is so recent. It does one's heart good to read them and realise how much progress we have made. Jocelyn Fish was elected as a Piaco County Councillor, the first woman in that role. Yes. And she served so many years and became National President of the National Council of Women for four years in the 1980s, has served as a member of the Film and Literature Board of Review between 1981, and uh, her term was three years there, and she was appointed to a National Commission of UNESCO and was one of the group of women who lobbied, and I think you were another, for 1993 to be recognised as Women's Suffrage Year in New Zealand. Mm, mm. Uh, Jocelyn had been trained as a teacher, if I recall, and she was really keen not just to advocate through official channels, she was always keen to see people educated about um, their own history, about their own nation, about the world. And all of those steps that you have just relayed there indicate that she did that quite actively. I spent most of my time um, with Jocelyn uh, when she was retired in Hamilton with her husband, and she was very much involved with our library. 
um, part of the Friends of the Library. And that was just another um, side of her where she was really keen to see people informed, knowing what was going on, reading and finding out stuff. Mm, excellent model. There's another celebration this week, the formation of the Māori Women's Welfare League under Dame Fina Cooper. They've been well, Māori women have been celebrating this week. I know. And did you know that our very own Dame Hilda Ross was the guest speaker at the inaugural national conference of the Māori Women's Welfare League in 1951. And what's more, she became very, very friendly um, uh, uh, and worked closely with our first Māori woman member of parliament from this area, Iriaka Ratana. And she first encountered Iriaka at that Māori Women's Welfare League conference. They're a great group, have done marvellous work over many years, and still do. As a former mayor, Margaret Evans, you take an interest in what falls to other mayors, and I'm thinking in particular of way down south, Skullduggery in Invercargill. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Sir Tim Shadbolt. Um, you are referring to the current... Uh, um, situation where the group that came out of Auckland in the 1980s, known as Tim's Team, when Tim was elected as the Mayor of Waitemata, and I ended up as the independent voice, but with the group that took over the Auckland Harbour Board, and I ended up supporting them, and some people may recall the name Stella Penny, the late Stella Penny who was from the Coromandel and a regional councillor and also a conservator for the Department of Conservation. And she was a member of that team as well, sadly no longer with us. And um, we've come together in recent weeks because we are really concerned about what's happening in Invercargill. And so we've made it our business to dig into the records. We've read so many different reports, so many different inquiries, and talked to so many different advisors about what's happening down there. And we think it's a national issue. And it's a national issue which relates to the way in which councils operate and the role of their mayors. And we think that there is a very deeply dysfunctional and unfortunate situation going on in Invercargill. And some people may have seen the Sunday programme, which uh, featured a bit of this, and presented essentially uh, Sir Tim as having lost his marbles. Well, I can assure you he hasn't, but he is deeply stressed. And I don't think there'd be another human being that wouldn't be deeply stressed if they it's, were going through what he is going through. It's an, inter it's an interesting that on the Invercargill City Council is broadcaster Marcus Lush. I wonder Brand what, new. Only been there just for a few months. I wonder what he's thinking. I'm hoping to find out. <laughs> yeah, because um, Tim was here in Hamilton not so long ago with uh, John Minto and others that, and uh, right. Fred Haywood and uh, others. And what, what I hear that... Um, that Tim was on point. We spoke to Eva Rickard's daughter last week and she agrees that he was on point when he was here in Hamilton. Exactly. And we found just by talking with him 
um, and having a few laughs and, you know, generally just being like people are supposed to be together. Um, he has, the stoop has gone from his back. Um, but you know, anybody listening to us would probably wonder what on earth is going on. And I can just simplify it and say um, Local Government New Zealand has produced a booklet called The Mayor's Guide, uh, which is a handy little summary of um, points for mayors to consider when they are new mayors taking up a job. And in that, it does point out that um, city mayors probably need three staff. And if you think about it, you've got to have the executive assistant, which helps you check on policy and look what's happening with local government at the moment. Mm -hmm. Then you need, of course, somebody to keep your diary, because as you can imagine, mayors just get so many invitations and letters and uh, um, these days emails, etc. And in some cases, they suggest a research assistant. Hey, um, hey. Poor old Tim... Um, has been left uh, with a new chief executive with 12 hours of secretarial support. And we say that's where a lot of the current problem is. One of the allegations, Margaret, and I saw that documentary, is that Tim's partner is pulling the strings. Tim's partner, and I had not known her well until the last few weeks, um, Tim is her man. You have a strong woman there. Obviously, she is going to be fairly staunch when it comes to her husband. But that's a private matter. And there's been suggestions, of course, that she um, helps with correspondence. Well, he's got no secretary as such. And he's also, unfortunately, and we've had a bit of a chat with him about this, he can't use a computer. Well, he needs to be able to do that. So Usher has been helping him in that respect. On the other hand... The role of the Mayor and Council is to keep the Chief Executive accountable. And this Council has allowed the Chief Executive to convince them that the Mayor doesn't need this assistance and that what is needed is extra powers for the Deputy Mayor and a change to the committee structure, which essentially means that Tim has become a Presidential Mayor. Now, from, from one point of view, I would suggest the people of Invercargill know they've got a presidential mayor. Uh, Tim went there with the idea of putting Invercargill on the map, and I think most of us believe he has done that. He's the sort of person that constantly is out and about in the community listening to people mm -hmm. and then getting stuff done. And there's a whole list of things that Tim has been involved with. One of the ones I think so many people understand is the fee-free uh, um, Invercargill uh, Technical Institute. That's a Tim project. So don't expect him to get intricately involved in the housekeeping of the council, but he's got extremely gifted, high-level intellectual abilities. I, I, I'd love to know his IQ. I would think he is extraordinary and Bob Harvey has actually said to me, and I agree and I've tested a few people, he is probably the greatest orator of this country in the 20th century. We talk a lot about David Longy, but, but Tim Shadbolt um, 
you know, in the past has held an audience of a thousand people in his palm. Yep. And, and of course, is he the author of Bullshit and Jelly Beans? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a protester, you understand. Yeah. But always on the right side. Vietnam War. And concrete, and, right and concrete mixes. Yes, yes. I, what, if he, what if he was mayor of Hamilton? <laughs> I think we'd love him. <laughs> hey, Ma- hey, hey, Margaret, it's great to catch up with you. We're running out of time and we've got to leave the building in about six minutes because of COVID um, things. And uh, we don't know if we're going to be here next week on air because we'll, well be on level three. Say, you, won't, you won't be able to leave the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I've been. I've been. I've, this is another lockdown, so I've got to go and tell my housemates. So they're not allowed to do things they're not allowed to. So, um, oh well, we'll see what happens in five days' time. Margaret Evans, thanks for your company this afternoon. Oh, pleasure. It's a pleasure. And uh, shortly, our final guest for the afternoon will be Trevor. But uh, right now, some more Fred Dag. The one and only Fred Dagg delayed John Clark and his version of God Defend New Zealand as New Zealand celebrates us becoming a dominion all over a hundred years ago this week. Afternoon, Trevor. Afternoon. Fred Dagg, it brings back a few memories of the 70s. I was was sitting at the lights in uh, Tristan Street in the intersection of Ward Street the other day. I looked over at the tinted glass box that took up the whole section of the of the uh, of uh, between Ward Street and mm-hmm. Dry Street and I thought well I just got a bill from them to pay rates what am I getting for my buck with the regional council I, exactly I know what I'm getting from the city councils and I bite my tongue when I pay those rates as well why can't the the regional council send out their rates to the those that living in the region Rather than those living in the city, they get no benefit. And I thought, well, getting rates from us as well as the regional uh, section of the of of New Zealand, or the Waikato, should I say? No wonder they've got such a posh building. I think that uh, something should really be reviewed about that. I mean, why should we be paying rates and we get absolutely nothing for it? It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's. Um and you heard the comments of Margaret Evans about local government. And this, the problems in councils are not confined to Invercargill. Reports coming out of other councils about 
perceived racism, etc., etc. You probably read those stories too. And uh, uh, yeah, I hear, I hear a few things. You talk about the Invercargill uh, Council. Uh, no, I think it's one of the Waikato councils. Oh, right. oh yeah, I think this goes back a little bit a while, doesn't it? Yeah, so, 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 some of these, some of these men have old-fashioned ideas about how to treat people and it's got them into trouble and um yeah say so you've got to resign you you see this it doesn't do but it doesn't bode well for local government when we go to the voting for next no, year well that's right i think people in high places must remember they must treat very carefully Look what happened to the Governor of New York. Well, hopefully we're here next week. We'll have to find out. Five days under Level 3 because of two COVID cases in Ham East and over in Raglan. We'll find out in the next week. So we're back into local Level 3 lockdown for the next five days from 11.59 tonight. We may be here next week or maybe not, but when we return, we'll have more Cosmopolitan news and views. We'll leave you. It's George Gershwin's birthday this month. We'll leave you on a positive note. We'll hopefully see you next Sunday or in a fortnight. Bye-bye for now. Just before I do go, just a reminder, COVID testing places, Founders Theatre and Clawland Showgrounds, you can vaccinate it at Tiawa, the base. I just suggest you go to Anglesey, Anglesey Pharmacy on Thackeray Street. They're open late at night too, so get it done now. And we'll see what happens with the news as we follow it all through the afternoon. Thanks to our guests this afternoon. Have a great day. And for the people in Raglan, it's the rugby club in Cross Street in Raglan where you can go and get tested. So we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.